Memory. Regret. Alone. Passion. Guilt. Loneliness. Peace. Relationships. If you put God first, you'll never be last. This is Grief at the Cookout, hosted by DiCarlo Raspberry. Hello, family. Welcome to Grief at the Cookout. Today, I am joined by a very dear friend of mine, someone whom I consider a sister, Janice Jackson. Janice is an Oklahoma native, a minister, psalmist, conference organizer, educator, and author of the book entitled, Love Freed Me, My Journey to Healing. Today, Janice and I will discuss her journey to healing and how love became her freedom. Hey, sis. Hey. <laughs> Welcome to the cookout. <laughs> Thank you for having me at the cookout. I love it. Come on. Hi. Cute. How are you doing? How's your day? I'm well. It's my, well, I'm well. I'm about to say what day it is. <laughs> you know, it's great. It's, great it's Monday. <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's, it's Monday. Monday. You know, Monday, um, that I don't have to work for somebody else. Ooh, well, we give God glory there. <laughs> Thank you. Well, you know, again, welcome to Grief at the Cookout. My very first guest on the very first episode, we have again Janice Jackson. So, Yay. what we do at the Cookout, and it's a tradition, and we're going to start it today, and it's just going to forever, forever keep going on. I'm going to ask you one simple question. Okay. What is your favorite cookout food? The baby shower, the the outside cookouts at Fort DuPont, <laughs> the family reunions. Okay. When you want to grill something, what's your favorite cookout food? Um, I could say so many things um, because cookout food is the best period, right? Um, but I believe my go-to at every cookout is a cheeseburger. A like, cheese? Oh, what you put on the cheeseburger? A cheeseburger with um, some mustard. I prefer barbecue sauce over ketchup, so a little barbecue sauce, um, bacon, and cheddar cheese. <laughs> Caramelized onions. Oh, bless the Lord. Like, I'll take it, you know, like I'll take caramelized or I'll take, you know, red onion. But um, yeah, that's it. Give me a little that's cheddar, a little bacon, little, you know, mustard, barbecue sauce, thin layer, thin layer of mayonnaise and or Miracle Whip, whichever you prefer. Um, <laughs> but yeah. That, On a that's brioche a bun. On a brioche. Awesome. A ah. brioche. Ah, glory. Yeah. <laughs> On a brioche bun. Yes. Good little sweet and buttery, you know, straight off the grill. Got a good look. Straight off the grill. Nice and brown. God is worthy. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Two. Well, there you have it, folks. That's Janice's favorite cookout food. You know, we got to open yeah. up on a good high note right there. I love it. Yeah. So, Janice. You are an author of a book, which is also the title of our podcast, 
episode for today called Love Freed Me. Yeah. How long did it take you to write that book? Oh, um, it took me about 12 years to fully complete the, the process. It was something that was, I want to say, I'm going to use the word, I don't want to be so churchy, but y'all forgive me, you know. It was something that was birthed through pain, and we're going to delve well, well into it during this episode. But it was something that I started doing, literally just kind of journaling my feelings after experiencing a loss. And um, it took me 12 years to complete it because there were some things that I, I wasn't sure that I wanted to delve in and or dive into life happened in the process and it just took a while um i believe now knowing how the mind of god works and how the purpose and the plan of god works i believe that the lord could not have allowed me to release it without going through the process of the 12 years and so the lord allowed me to pin this project and i'm very very proud of it, I'm very proud. It is my testimony as to the love of God, how it freed me, but not only that, um, how would it, the love of God chase the seed, the planter, and everything else in between. Mm -mm. And that's what we're gonna talk about. Oh my. <laughs> now, wait a minute. So you <laughs> said you experienced a loss that, ultimately had you decide to begin to write this book. Can you touch on that particular loss? Absolutely. The loss that I experienced was the loss of um, the only man that I've known as a father. In him being my father, he was also my abuser. So um, I lost what culture would say a part of me as someone who reared me. I personally say that I had grieved him years prior to him actually passing. I was going through the formality of someone dying, but he had already been dead to me, if you will. So it was the loss of um, my father who raised me and my abuser at the same time. And I did not know any other way to cope in that season and in that moment without putting my raw feelings and emotions on paper. Um, I never expected anyone to have to read. They were to be journal entries, if you will. And then as the Lord began to heal and deal with me or deal and heal me in the same process, it turned out to be a book. That's, that's interesting because you say you lost the the father figure but as well as your abuser now your grieving process for that was that so solely on you meaning you were grieving the anger the hurt all of that or were you grieving that as well as grieving the fact that he was dead to you um I was grieving in the instance of as to where I pinned, when I started pinning this book, I probably more so was grieving the fact that, 
probably more so the fact that he was my father in that moment, in that instance. Instance. It was later on in, in years after his death that I had to process the hurt, the pain. Although I had, I had thought I processed the hurt, the pain, the agony, the abuse, the letdown, all of those things. I thought that prior to him dying, I had processed that, right? Mm -hmm. But it wasn't until after his death, me going through that process, and then years later that I realized that I had not processed it properly. I put my, I literally put my emotions in a box, which is what we tend to do all the time. And we, we mask it as processed, but it's not processed. We just, we like to give it a title, but we really haven't done the work to do so. So in that instance where I started pinning this book, yes, I was processing the fact of this is the person uh, who I've known all my life, who raised me, who um, that's all I knew. So I was I was processing that um, and trying to figure it out. Like, what do I do here? Mm. And so that grief that led you to a book. In your book, you also talk about, and that we're gonna be jumping around. Y'all just have okay, to, sure. y'all, y'all just gonna have to go get the book, folks. It's called Love Free Me because it is just, it's a whole lot, and and we we don't even have all the time to really delve into <laughs> everything in this book. Um, besides me knowing Janice personally, but yeah. <laughs> the book you, in your book, you talk about reuniting with your birth mom. Now, just if you can, just kind of give the people just an overview of your birth mom, the fact that you're also a twin, you do have a sister, and how you got to the place of your adoptive family. Okay, sure. So, (laughs) interesting enough, I was born to a young lady who is 13 years older than I. She had me at the age of 13. It was a product of molestation and rape. And I cannot, let me first say this, I cannot tell her story for her, right? I can only tell my version of of what I know. And until I'm told something different, I'm gonna stand on what I know. Um, But nevertheless, um, she had us at a young age. She, um, She was, a product, well, I'm sorry, we were a product of molestation and or rape. And she did not know at the time that she was pregnant. Um, and then when she come to find out that we were pregnant, that she was pregnant, um, life happened for her. And as you can suspect, you know, a, a 12 or 13 year old child pregnant um, really does not have an opportunity to make decisions for themselves. Someone is making the decision for them because they are an adolescent. And in that, my mother was forced um, to give us up for adoption. Um, we ended up becoming wards of the the state, if you will. And we ended up in the custody of social service, foster care system, things of that nature. It was then, Brown, and, and I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, we probably did live with my mother for maybe the first year and a half of our lives and I think life happened for them which caused her not to be able to keep us I believe life happened but I also believe a decision was made for my mother 
that she necessarily couldn't have a voice to voice her opinion. But nevertheless, we were adopted. Um, my twin sister and I, and as you know, with adoption, sometimes sometimes people want two, sometimes people will want one child. Um, it just so happened to be the plan of the Lord. I believe it was the plan of the Lord that he preserved us to be able to be together because the Lord knew what we were going to encounter growing up. But we were adopted into a Christian family. And in that, um, we had to deal with life circumstances of our own. But going throughout our whole life, we wondered who we were, where we where we came from. We were given stories. We were told lies. We were told everything concerning our biological mother. We lived with that for 34 years, 34, 35 years, 34 years. We'll say 34. Um, it was on my 35th birthday that the Lord... <laughs> kindly self-orchestrated something that would change the literally change the trajectory of our lives um and i received a facebook message from a young lady who said i'm your sister i believe i'm your sister and she starts giving pertinent detailed information i thought i was being punked I thought i was being i thought somebody was playing a game on me you know like people are just you know people are people and you right. just never know um and so I was like, this got to be a joke, whatever. I called my sister, told her I received this message. I read it to her. And she was like, don't call them until I get there. And so she ended up coming to where I was. You know, um, we called the number back, but we didn't get an answer. So we, I just left a message and was like, you know, which it was like, mm, maybe somebody's really playing a game. And it was later um, that evening um, the young lady called back and she started, you know, talking to us or what have you. She was like, I'm here with my mother and my brother, but there was still never, for me at that moment, there was never a connection that this was my biological mother. I'm just thinking that someone reached out to me and was like, I'm your sister, da-da-da-da-da. This, da, da, da. It didn't, one plus one wasn't equal to two. Right. Um, and I think because I was probably more so in my mind than really trying to figure out the whole process. Nevertheless, we tell, um, they wanted to know what we knew. Um, and let me back up, let me backtrack. The person, how I knew it was, I had an inkling of an idea that it was true because they gave direct information that only the parties of my sister, the adoptees, well, we being the adoptees, our adoptive parents, and only my biological mother would have known. Mm. Um, so when she gave that information, you know, it was like, if you were, you were born on this day at this particular hospital, if you go by the name, if you still go by the names of X, Y, and Z, then I know that this is you. So when she said that, I was like, hold up. <laughs> How do you know that information? So it kind of gave me that, okay, to pursue it a little further. Um, needless to say, we told them our part of the story, what we knew. And the first thing that the lady, she was crying. And the first thing that um, the lady said was, I never abandoned you. And it was from that moment forward that there became a peace and a calmness over the entire conversation that I knew that it was God. And we... You know, we talked for a couple of hours that night. We exchanged numbers. 
and me being the type of person I am, you know, thank God for social media. <laughs> I started searching on social media, trying to find what I found, you know, what I could find, and I didn't find much. But the next day, she started sending pictures. Janelle and I had never, Janelle, which is my twin sister, we had never saw baby photos of ourselves. Um, the next day, she sent baby photos, and that is when I knew it was real. And I was like, wow, okay. But I still didn't believe it in its totality. I was just like, she's, she's related because I can see my sister in her, but I couldn't see me in her. And that's a whole nother conversation. But y'all do look alike. Now I saw the picture and I said, <laughs> dang, y'all look like she just spit y'all out. <laughs> Absolutely. So y'all, so that's, that's, that's a, that's a, that's not even the whole book. That's just a portion of a uh, a, a part of a chapter of, you know, of just what's in this book called love freed me. But when we, when we're talking about grief, we're always, we're what, what this podcast is to do. It's to uh, realize the grief, but then also normalize the grief. Uh, mm-hmm. and which is the absence of joy. And so in your childhood, because I, I can only imagine that through everything that you have been through, you have went through a lot of grief, but mm-hmm. have you really processed the whole grieving? You know, were you able to grieve each moment that brought you so much sadness, you know? Um, no, I'll be honest. Um, I have had to, more so in my adult years, opposed to my childhood years, I've had to deal with the various stages of grief. Um, even um, even if they're six feet under, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, even if they're living, um, my grief process, I'm still grieving. I'm going through the process of, of dealing with it properly. Um, even now, um, there are aspects of it that you think you're you're over until something else happens and it rear it rears its ugly head and then you go have to go back to the root of the problem and say, Well, how what is that? And then going back to the root of it, you just be like, Oh, I never dealt with the, with the initial with the root of the problem. With the root of the situation. And so um I'm I'm, I'm, it's a work in process, progress, but, um, I've had to go back and dig, you know, do the work that it protect that for me, I've had to go back and do it. And, um, it hasn't been easy, but it's definitely worth it. It's a marathon, not a race. <laughs> it's a marathon, not a race. Oh, it's gosh. a marathon, not a race. And Absolutely. like eight. Because I'm, I'm, what I'm really interested in is how you got to the point of love and how you found love. Um, mm-hmm. And what, when did you recognize love was actually true? But before we get to that point, okay. the various stages of grief that you recognize as an adult, can you recall in your childhood when there was absence of joy for you, like the actual onset of grief. Although, you know, the 
can you recall like the first time before all the other times that you went through? Probably at the age of had to be seven or eight. Mm -hmm. So anything beyond anything prior to the age of eight, I've I've suppressed very, very mm -hmm. it's deep, right? Mm -hmm. Um and I don't know if I'll ever I don't know if I'll ever dig like I that would really take like some hypnosis for me to like, you know, to go back that far into like, you know. Um, but I can recall definitely at the age it had to be either was seven turning eight or I had just turned eight. Um and I remember I remember um something was my we had an animal and I was afraid of animals. I think this is where my fear of animals really became. Um the dog. I, I remember right. that. <laughs> I remember that. So, <laughs> we had a dog. We had a dog named Bear. And my God did he look like one. Um a dog named Bear. I don't remember the breed, any of that. Uh but we were living in Detroit at the time um and the dog was outside we had an animal inside it was a cat i believe and um for whatever reason i was supposed to go outside and do something with the dog and i was terrified because he get he got real excited and his his, the, his weight was probably two or three times more than what i weighed at the time um so he would get really, really excited. And I was trying to tell my mom, like, can you come outside with me? And she was like, no. And my father was like, no, you're going to go out and you're going to do it yourself, da, 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 whatever. So nevertheless, um, the cat was trying to go outside in the same process. And I remember trying to block the cat from going. And um, for whatever reason, the cat lunged like, just lunged at me as if I was trying to attack it and literally I had the scar to this day <laughs> but literally um me trying to block the cat out of the way I hit my arm on this uh on the the glass pane you know the old the old um screen doors things mm -hmm. you know houses with older I'm telling my age now, but the older <laughs> screen doors that had the glass right. in the middle of the yeah. So I'm trying to I'm trying to brace myself, but also block myself from being attacked by the cat. And I remember getting this cut, and I remember um, crying and saying to my parents, like, "Nobody gonna take me to the hospital for this." And um, my father was like, "You'll be fine. You'll live." But I knew that there was a shard of glass in my hand, like, well, in my, in my wrist. Um, and I kept saying, there's a piece of glass in my wrist and no one would listen to me. No one would listen to me. No one would listen to me. And I think um, that is at the point where I started grieving the fact that nobody cared. Mm and nobody listened nobody heard my plea and or my cry of pain to do anything about it that's a whole nother message but anyway. <laughs> sorry so, if you can sum up how many years that you have been dealing with grief from 
the traumatic experiences from your childhood, how many years can you say that you've been walking this this marathon or walking this race or walk you know walking this long hallway of grief from childhood feeling like no one listened to you from being touched as a child you know and when you recognized it you know in your adult years how many years is that so i'm gonna say i didn't really probably i'm gonna say probably a good 20 years 20 years how did you function the grace of God. <laughs> like, like how, how, is, I don't know. You know, that's, that's a, a that's question. a long time. Like how can one function just from the interpersonal grief that you dealt with? Not even like work grief or dealing with disappointments at work, you know, but mm-hmm. dealing just with the things you had to grapple with and the traumatic childhood that you had for 20 years. How were you able to function you know, to even have some type of social life, to have, you know, to be able to go to church, you know. Hindsight being 2020, you know, what I know now is that church was designed, and I've said it before, I've said it in my book, I, I, I probably say it every time I do um, a conversation that the greatest thing Although my home was dysfunctional in many, many aspects, the greatest thing that they could have ever done was introduce me to Christ. Because of that foundation, church became my safe haven. You know, it became my place of comfort. So even when I didn't understand the elements of grief, knowing that I felt safe in a place of church gave me the sense of normalcy that I needed, if you will. Um, I was a functioning addict. I mean, it's just like anybody else who deals with any other type of, um, you know, things of that nature. it was functioning. I was functioning, a functioning addict dealing with grief. You just um, and really not knowing that I was really dealing with grief. You know what I mean? Not, not, not totally comprehending the fact that, um, for me, at that, at certain stages of my life, especially in my adolescent years, the way I lived was normalcy to me. Mm. I didn't know anything different until I got outside of the home and I saw things done differently. And then I had to unlearn a behavior that was taught to me. Mm-hmm. So it was normal to live. I thought it was normal to live the way that I lived. And when I didn't realize that it was normal was then it was like, Oh fool, you, you was jacked up. <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, yeah, because that's what we do when we, I mean, growing Mm -hmm. up in our families, we learn this is how we function. This is what we do. And then when we go beyond the walls of of our family, of 
the whole entire family, we see how different people lead different mm-hmm. lives, how they communicate, how families communicate, mm-hmm. how you realize that there there are some people that have great families and either they appreciate it or either they don't appreciate it. And you say, mm-hmm. man, if I had like, that I growing it. up, if I had that, if all y'all was yep. just able to just come together, then mm-hmm. things would be and just you know, so the, totally the, different. The The chaotic part of it is, is that I've had to filter a lot of the negative parts of it because let my family tell it my life was great. Mm. That's their point of view. My point of view is something completely different. And so I'm learning even now as I've matured in various areas of my life that we will not always agree but you have to respect my my point of view and I have to respect your point of view and find a, a common ground. It's been very, very, it's been a hard process. You know, I've had to filter what I say or the way that I say it because I don't want to hurt somebody's feelings mm-hmm. or I don't want this, I don't want it to seem like I'm trying to defame the name of someone. And the, the crazy part about this book is that one side of my family read it to see what I said about them. The other side of the family, well, both sides of the family read it to see what I said about them. And they missed the whole they missed the premise point. of the book. And and that's that that's that's a problem because you know, one, we have to normalize that we as black people and in our yeah. community and in our families that we actually go through trauma. We have to normalize yeah. talking about our trauma. Have like to. it's not okay. It's just, it's, it's, it's not, not, it's not okay. It's not okay for people to think, well, that was just a normal life. Me being touched, me being raped, me being molested, you know, mm-hmm. uh, terrorizing me with a dog or, you know, mm-hmm. not showing any type of uh, sympathy or empathy towards mm-hmm. me in my childhood. That is just okay. And then mm-hmm. they like to sweep it under the rug. No one wants to mm-hmm. talk about it. But as soon as we start to expose it, then it's a problem. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and that's why Absolutely. I also think that even, you know, as growing up, you know, God can handle it. God can handle it. Yes, God can handle it. But there's also a therapist. There's also Absolutely. a counselor. And Necessary. they don't want us to go to those different measures because they don't want us to talk about those different things because that's mm-hmm. how you normalize the fact that, hey, I have been through trauma. I have been through hurt. I have to talk this out and I have to talk this through so I can be better for the next person. And I even remember from the age of 19, 18 or 19 up until maybe 30. So I'm the type of person, I, I think because I was going through what I was going through, I needed someone to listen. Just listen to me. I don't need you to necessarily give me a response. I needed someone to, I just needed to vent because for 15 years, I had to hold my abuse in silently. You know, we're told that what goes on in this house stays in this house, number one. Number this ain't two, Vegas. <laughs> this ain't Vegas. Right, um, right. Um, then you're told, two, you better not tell nobody but God. Mm-hmm. Um, three, um, if you open up your mouth to anybody, i kill you. So now I got all of these stipulations that I'm trying to, like, you're, 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 you're telling me to live this life. I got to do it silently. 
and you threaten to kill me in the process and all of these other things that I have to deal with, right? Um, so for 15 years, all while the abuse was going on, I had to remain quiet, mute, if you will. I couldn't even tell mm-hmm. my mother. I couldn't tell my sister because my sister, although we lived in the same household, we were we were raised to fight each other, meaning we were raised to hate each other. And for a long time, and my God, it's been a process. I'm just going to be real. Right. We were, my sister and I were so at odds with each other, but we knew that we were all we had. But to some extent, we couldn't stand each other. But that's because how we were raised. But I'm saying all of that to say that it wasn't until, let me backtrack. So for a long time, after, for the 15 years of silence, right? When I was, when people would start to listen to me, oh, I would dump it all on them. And I know they would pretty be like, what in the, she's crazy. Like something's going on. It wasn't a healthy way of dealing with it. There was, it, I was just only talking to anybody that would listen at that point. But it still left me in a place of, after I would finish having a conversation with them, it would leave me in a place of, well, what did that accomplish, Denise? Like, how do you feel any better? You know, and I was, I realized that I wasn't feeling better. So I said all of that to say that it wasn't until about 20, 2019. No, I'm sorry. 20, let me see. Yeah, somewhere around there. Maybe a little bit before then. 20, 2016, 2017, somewhere in there. I was like, I'm going to seek professional help. You know, um, professional help. And I was going to ask you that, that in, throughout this whole process, did you ever sit down with a therapist or a counselor? Not as a child. Not um, as a child. Well, I wouldn't well, even expect that that with what you were right you but know, going um, through all those years but now, as an adult right mm-hmm. as an adult um it wasn't yeah i, I want to say it was, i was probably like um i want to say maybe even 30 if you, if i be honest i believe somewhere in there that i really was like i can't do this by myself yes i was going to church and yes prayer is something that you know i, I was reared up in so i knew the power of prayer I knew the church was, you know, my foundation, but I needed something else in conjunction with that. And so Jesus and therapy makes sense. Right. (laughs) So um, I started, I went out on this quest of trying to find someone who I trusted enough. Um, And I'm not even sure that I really trusted them enough, but I just knew that common sense said to me, you can't do this on your own. So I remember even going to one, um, a, a clinical therapist, um, if you will, my nice way of putting it, right? Uh, remember <laughs> going to a clinical therapist, and the first thing they say was like, "Oh, you have PTSD, and we're going to prescribe you this medication." Come, huh? That's what you gathered from from my first visit. Okay, oh, no wow. problem. So then I said, "That's not the avenue that I need to take." So I then began to pray and ask the Lord for some instruction. And then that is when he led me to the person that I literally just, she became my best friend, if you will. And I remember even our first conversation, you know, she was like, what do you hope to gain out of this? And I was like, I really don't know, but I know that, you know, there's something that I need, I need to, I need to deal 
so I can really move Heal. forward. <laughs> right, because I'm tired of going through this process. You know, right. like I'm not whole and I want to be whole. You know, spirit, mind, soul, and body. And um, it was, I remember, you know, even talking to her and I was talking to her, you know, just kind of sharing certain things. And she was like, I think at one point she was like, I need you to breathe, <laughs> like mm. breathe. And um, it was in that moment that I was like, okay, like you're not only are you listening, but you're going to give me, you know, you're going to, I'm going to be able to walk away with some type, with the tools that I need to be able to do the work to get to where I'm trying to go. Um, best decision I ever made uh, for myself. And it, it ultimately, um, it helped because it aided in this 12 year process. It helped me deal with things that I necessarily did not want to deal with um, in the 12 year process of writing the book. It aided, it, it, it really, really helped. So um, I still keep that line of communication open, not as frequently as I needed it, you know, in the beginning, but the line of, of communication is there. Praise God. <laughs> <laughs> so now after experiencing, you know, the trauma that you went through, everything that you did go mm-hmm. through, what if, you know, cause you know, this is a, a safe space, but also to be really honest and transparent because again, yeah. people, this is a marathon and not a race. Mm-hmm. What things are you still grieving with as it pertains to your current state, your current state of mind? Um, I, I am, this, this is going to be twofolded. I'm going to answer it in two ways. I'm going to answer it from the perspective of adopted family. And then I'm going to, I'm going to answer it from the, Probably it'll be really threefolded. Got you. Um, from the aspect of adoption family, the aspect of biological family, and then the aspect of Janice the woman. Okay. Okay. So in the aspect of adoptive family, what I am grieving is I am grieving the fact that it's still not, it is still something that is being brushed under the rug. Not dealt with. Not dealt with. It is something, and not just my situation, because what I understand is that, you know, everybody had things going on um, in their household, in their lives, um, things of that nature. But the fact that now now that I've taken the steps that I've taken to, you know, go through the healing process, I see so many of family members that are bound with grief but they're not even willing to humble themselves to be able to deal with it. And the first way that the first avenue of dealing with it is to be as open and honest and communicate. And they're not willing to do that. And so in that aspect, I'm grieving that it is still not a conversation. Um, It is still not, it, it is still a silent drug that is eating at the core of that family unit in that instance um it as it pertains to grief as it pertains to knowing who my biological family i'm grateful and i'm i mean this in the most purest way i know how to my heart is pure and i really can't i can't um what's the word i'm looking for try to figure out um 
what other people may think the intent of my heart is in this situation, but I mean it from a pure place. I am ever so grateful that the Lord um, spared my life, our lives, meaning my sister and I, but also the fact of my biological mother spared our lives to be able to be in a place where we are now, mm-hmm. where, um, where we know who we are. We know the role. We know that we exist in each other's lives, right? Mm-hmm. I grieve the fact that it is very disheartening right to still not be able to communicate what happened the way it happened what i know is that what my mother went through um and i i put it in the book that um sometimes we end up having to go through generational curses and we don't understand how um we think generational curses only come from an aspect of the people that we live with we know it really goes back to um the people before you, right? Um, what I know is that my mother endured rape and or molestation and then promiscuity. That I and my sister endured rape and or molestation. And it's a generational curse, right? But mm-hmm. I'm determined mm-hmm. that it's not going to be the curse of my lineage, right? So not only am I doing the work for healing of healing for myself, I'm really doing the work of healing for my mother. Um, because what I know is necessary for me, my family needs, but they may not go through it and get it in the same avenue in which I pertain to go get it, right? They may feel uncomfortable. Um, mm-hmm. right. So in that instance, I grieve the fact that um, there's still some sense of silence in my biological family, um, and I want nothing but my family to be whole, spirit, mind, soul, and body. Um, and that is my prayer. I also understand the assignment that the Lord has placed on my life to bring my family out of darkness. And so I have to be very strategic. Um, I'm being very strategic how I maneuver, what I say, what I do, you know, things of that nature. As it pertains to Janice, the woman, I am grieving the fact that it took so long for me to get to this place of freedom. Mm. And, um, I've, I've, and do you think that's that that's by is that by choice or is that because you realize that you had to go through a process? I realized I had to go through a process. Um and as uncomfortable as the process was, now looking at the fuller picture, it was necessary. Um to be able to bring a person who birthed me out of darkness is rewarding. Not rewarding in the sense of, oh, Janice is great, but it goes back to the love of God, the agape love of God, and how it chased I, me, the seed, my mother, the planter, and everything else in between. And that's a good segue to the actual word love 
when you discovered the word love, did you actually know what it meant? It's, this is a, 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 a trifold question. When you discovered the word love, did you actually know what the word meant? And then with love, when did you actually realize what it means to you? What love means to you? And then how did that love actually free you? And then you might as well sum it up and say what the love free you from. Because that's the most important question. Because honestly, you know, as we're sitting here talking about it, we're talking about trauma, we're talking about grief. We, we're normalizing actually having the conversation about talking about it. Because we realize that we can't, in, in so many uh, forms, we can't really sit and talk about it like we really mm-hmm. want to. And yes, we're still being respectful to, you know, to our family members. And, I, and, and yes, that we do do that. But when we're actually talking about this grief process, because love is what actually freed you. Like really, really delve into that. Talk about that because that's what's really going to help someone is to actually understand what love is for them. How can they actually okay. discover it? So good segue. Um, <laughs> so in <laughs> in the book, um, you know, yes, I talk about you know the things that I've had to um, endure, but I couldn't talk about those things without first understanding that there are four parts to the word love. There Come are four on. different types of love. If you will. Um, Y'all write this so, down. Get your pen and paper. This is service for today. <laughs> so you have four types of love and we're going to okay, so the four types of love one is agape and it's the unconditional love of God for man. Again, that's agape, the unconditional love of God for man, which we as um, if you are, um, we strive, right? We strive to to have that unconditional love because if we, if we're honest, because we're, um, we're made out of dirt, we're, we're born in sin, we're shaping in iniquity, you know, all of that stuff, right? So that's right. something that we have to work for. Our love is conditional. Our flesh, it's conditional, right? Mm-hmm. So we strive to experience the agape love of God, right? Mm-hmm. The next type mm-hmm. is eros. That is the intimate love between a husband and a wife. You have philia, which is the affection between, in regards to friendship. It's that type of love that that is for friendship brother sister things of that nature and then you have um storg or yeah i'm going to say a storg and that is the love and affection between parents and or children and no now knowing that there are four types of love because at first when you think of love you you just think of that you think of a feeling right um you think of an emotion um, you think of what it gives you butterflies on the inside. You, we equate our feelings to love when actual, when in all actuality, 
love is something that has no feeling. It's unconditional. Whether I like you today or tomorrow, whether you've done something to me today or tomorrow, my love for you is not defined by that, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but we as humanistic nature, you know, that it's our innate nature to relate it to a feeling of, of, of some sort. So I, for a long time, I only understood... I lived in a place of love that I should have never experienced. Mm. I lived, I lived in Eros love, but I should have lived in the place of agape. Mm. Okay, you gotta keep going because this is good to me. <laughs> so, <laughs> I lived. From a place of intimacy of a type of love mm-hmm. based off of the actions that were done to me. Okay. And or with me. Okay. When I when in all actuality from my parents, I really should have only known the storage type of love or the storage type of love, mm. which is one that a, a parent has for their child mm. and or a child has. It's a pure, a, a very, a very tender yet pure place of should be of love. Like it shouldn't be, it shouldn't be tampered with. It shouldn't be. It's pure intertwined with anything else it should just be a pure place of love one Mm -hmm. that a child has for their parent one that a parent has for their child right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um but again because we know that it's we experience things off of emotion and, and and things of that nature and feelings we sometimes introduce other types of lifestyles that we should have never even entered Mm -hmm. into Mm-hmm. So I lived from a place of storage, I'm sorry, a place of eros love, opposed to a place of uh, stored or agape. How did I get to the place of agape love? I got to the place of agape love by trusting the one I knew who gave me life, which was not in the in the physical form, mm-hmm. but who gave me life in the conception of his mind being Christ. Trusting the one who, before I entered into my mother's womb, the person, the, the, the spirit, the Godhead who knew me, trusting that, that God, trusting God enough to say, you knew this was going to happen. So I'm going to trust you that you're going to get me out of it. Mm. So I had to walk I had to walk through agape in the form of being abused, um, mm. being molested. Whereas to some people where they could have lost their mind, maybe where I should have lost my mind, I didn't. Mm. Which spoke to the agape love of God that he had for me. Mm-hmm. Right? Where I could have been struck out on drugs and or anything else for that matter. 
spoke to the agape, it reminded me that no, God's hand is there all along. It didn't, it didn't work out the way that I intended. It wasn't, this isn't what I'm used to. But if this is all going to give God glory at the end, he knew now in 2022 that I would be sitting on this podcast with you and talking about the love, which is speaking to the agape love of God. Because if I can save Janice, not just from the molestation, the rape, the sexual promiscuity, the miscarriages, the if I could save Janice from herself, of her way of thinking, of of her her own self-sabotage, if I can save her from that, and she knows that I brought her through it, she's going to lead somebody else back to me, which speaks to the agape love of God. Mm. That's good. Um, so when I learned to cast my cares on him truly, and he began to lead and guide me and do the work um, to be able to get to the place of where I experienced the agape love of God. And I'll, I'll be honest, the agape love of God really didn't transcend into my life until I forgave. Mm. And that's what I talk about in this book. Forgiveness led to my freedom. I hope I'm answering your question. Mm, no, no, you, no, you are. Forgiveness led me back to the place where I was able to Look, the man who had abused me for 15 years to look at him and say, I love you. And it not mean anything but what it meant. And um, it, it, it was forgiveness and doing the work as the process, you know, in the process, it was forgiveness that was allowed, was, was able to, um, to give me the strength and the ability to be able to bury him and be by my mother's side the entire time and walk her through the process. It was, it was the agape love of God that ultimately. That experiencing of the agape me, love that led you mm-hmm, to. The experiencing for, of the, yeah. To, led you to forgiveness. To be, the, to be free. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And forgiveness led me to the freedom. So your understanding of the four different types of love to mm-hmm. experiencing, to realizing what you are operating out of um, at mm-hmm. one point, but also to experience the agape love led to you being able to walk through that process of forgiveness because forgiveness is a process. Absolutely. It's just not something that you can just be like, I forgive you. you. Right. Yeah. yeah. No. It's just not something that you can just no. wake up and say, not I forgive all. you. It's a process because trust has been broken, you know, and for some people, like even myself, once trust is broken, it's, I, it's, it's either over or it's like trying to, really repair what that trust is and trying to look beyond that and look past that. Mm-hmm. And that's hard. Cause I ain't God, <laughs> you know, I, it's hard, but honestly oh, yeah. realizing that experiencing that agape love led you to the process of forgiveness to freedom. Yeah. Because I had to learn, I had to learn that, even in spite of me, God loves me. Right. And in order for God, 
it, it wasn't until, you know, and we, we hear it all the time, but it's not until you experience it for yourself. You know, you be like, you pray all the time. You be like, yeah, God hears my prayers. He answers my prayers. But if I have an ounce of hatred mm-hmm. or malice, anger, bitterness, if I have unforgiveness in my heart, God ain't hearing nothing I'm saying. Listen, not a thing. And so it's not until you deal, <laughs> not until you deal with the matters of the heart and I mean really really deal um I'm not I'm not saying that you're gonna wake up today and you be like all right today I'm gonna deal with the matters of my heart and you ain't gonna feel some type of way no but when you deal with the matters of your heart first and that you dealing with the matters of your heart it's not even doing it for anybody else it's being honest with yourself and saying I'm doing this for me my I wasn't and at first I thought that, you know, I was doing the work so that I wouldn't have to live with the scarlet letter over my head, mm. right? Of, oh, you're adopted. Oh, this, oh, that, you know, all of those things. It was like, I thought I was doing the work for the opinions of others when I actually had to go back and say, no, I'm doing this for me. And whatever, whatever, and and for a long time, I looked at the offender as the problem. And God even checked me one day and was like, he been dead. So now check you, check your heart. And when the Holy Spirit said to me that one day, it was like, check your heart. I was like, hey, hold up, hold up. You're supposed to be on my side. But it's (laughs) where, Holy Spirit, you know, like, I mean, you really have to check your motive and you have to check, like, really do the, do the heart work. And when I noticed that, you know, I was blaming everybody else instead of looking at, hey, look at your part. And even, Mm -hmm. and not saying that my part had anything to do with the molestation, with the abuse, with any of that. Me existing did not have anything to do with it because hurt people hurt people and that's a mindset and that's a whole nother conversation for another day that we're not going to delve into goodness me however <laughs> um but i had to do the heart work and not put it on nobody else and say create within me a clean heart oh god or god i want to be more like you and the only way i know to be more like you was to dump this on you mm. cast your cares on me for he cares for you right. and i had to just cast my cares and even, even, and I'm saying even within, especially since we've been in this pandemic, let's be real. Like this pandemic has brought out a period of, you know, we've all been isolated, right? But what happens when you're isolated with yourself Jeez. and you thought you were over certain things? And then and you then realize you're not over it. <laughs> you ain't over and it. And if you, you have not, right. Again. And if you have not taken the time to deal with yourself through the time that you had, my God. I mean, you got to do the work. Sure, Van Zandt say it all the time. I'm here to help you do your work, but you really, you honestly, you honestly have to do the work. And but again, I think the problem is a lot of people is looking for this work to be just easy, like you just wake up and do it. It's not going to be handed to you, right? You you have to take the initiative to do it. You got to realize it. You got to recognize it, and then you got to work through it. But like working through it is actually realizing, hey, look, I'm not at that place yet. I can't. I can't do that, but it also and it's causes. It's okay if you're not there, right? But it also causes for you to 
not continually hurt yourself in the process. Why put yourself through the mm-hmm. same thing with the same persons or the same situation when you know mm-hmm. it's going to bring about the same thing, uh, the same mm-hmm. type of hurt that you have already been dealing with? At some point, you Absolutely. have to make a change to say, okay, what if I decide not to do this? What if I decide to recognize this, realize it, you know, and say, okay, I'm not actually going to go down this particular route. You know, I'm actually going to mm-hmm. do this to actually bring about healing to myself. You know, you mm-hmm. can't make nobody I mean, have insanity healing. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again. Right. And expecting different a, a different result. <laughs> but, um, you know, but you have to be intentional about it. And if, and if you're not intentional about your healing, your healing, not what they did to you. Right. Um, but intentional about doing the self work. If you're not intentional, you'll keep, you know, going around the mountain, never accomplishing anything. And it defeats the purpose. And, and until you, you know, necessarily do the work, you won't, you won't experience the goodness of the 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 land. You won't experience what life has to fully offer. I believe that I'm living some of my best days in this season, mm-hmm. in this, in these, the last, uh, maybe five to 10 years, maybe five to 10, maybe 10 years, 10 years is a stretch, <laughs> but definitely in the last five. <laughs> no, but I mean, I would even say, I mean, well, we knew what the restoration process would look like. And can it be, can we, can, you know, can it be safe to say that those last years that you've been experiencing have been the restoration of Absolutely. what you have in Seeing part lost? Okay. Yeah, right. You know, like yeah. I'm living the restored time mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I kind of missed out on, you know, but it, yeah. it's it's all a process, and there's nothing wrong mm-hmm. with being and walking in this particular process. I mean, honestly, I'm pretty sure that people who have been through or close to what you have been through have either taken their lives, um, decided Absolutely. they had nothing else to work for or to live for, or <clears throat> they they are angry, they are bitter, they mm-hmm. are mad. And again, they still have, they have nothing to look forward to because they haven't taken that initiative and taking that initiative is Mm -hmm. hard. It's not easy, you know, to take that initiative. It is is not easy. But if you're going to choose. It's not easy. Right. But are, you know, it's a choice to do it. Yeah, it is. I mean, either you're going to stay stuck or you're going, you're going to move forward. You can't do both. You can't be stuck and forward. At the same time, it's just, it's impossible. I mean, it's impossible. Um, But whatever avenue you choose, do what's going to be best for you. Mm -hmm. And I promise you, if you, if you just choose the best, choose life, choose forward movement. If you choose life, you'll get what you're looking for. Um, And I chose life, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and I'm I'm determined to live it more abundantly, right. you know, because that's the promise of God over my life. But I'm determined to live it. I'm determined to. Now, granted, I have my moments. Let's 
I mean, we're all human. I have my moments, but I, I don't, I don't want to stay stuck. Right. Not, not there. Mm-mm. I'm gonna go forward. I'm gonna move forward because mm. that's what it's requiring of me. Family, realizing, understanding, and experiencing love led Janice to forgiveness and freedom. I encourage you to be kind to yourself, love yourself a little harder, and love yourself unconditionally. You might join in grieving, but you're going to come out healed. I love you and thank you.